What are you doing this week? It's a question I ask uh, <laughs> myself approximately noon on Saturday. Noon on Saturday? Yeah. And when I say I ask myself. You ask your wife. I ask my wife. Yeah. She tells me what we're doing. <laughs> I already asked my wife. I asked my wife yesterday. And I was like, please tell me we don't have anything to do this weekend. Please, please just want some time off. She's like, we have this and we have this and we have this. Then Saturday we have this and then you have this. And I'm like, okay, are you, are you trying to tell me that we don't and she's like yeah but we have sunday free and i'm like oh, oh great okay. yeah <laughs> actually we now i'm thinking about it we do this is one of the few weekends my son does not have like 914 baseball games oh my god so we uh i think we're like we're basically any any pumpkin patch in the state of texas you may very well find us there we're, we're just di- diving into fall i'm wondering how many how many chess tournaments are there if you're in chess club I convinced my daughter she should join chess club. If if mm. there's like only there's only like three tournaments a year. Right. Okay. Yeah. I'll drive you to that. That we really parents need to d- devise something that seems like a really great activity, but has like no responsibilities. I have parents. one. I have one. It's called the 1970s. Go outside and play. Mm. Oh, you're gonna play baseball. Get all your friends in the neighborhood. Yeah. Just be careful. You know, because. That empty lot's got a lot of broken glass in it. So pick it out of your feet and keep playing. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, here is today's podcast. It's a great one. You don't want to miss. Brought to you by Relief Factor. If you're one of the millions of Americans who suffer every day from pain, I'll be my my wife. Stop whining. Have you tried Relief Factor yet? She sounds exactly like that. Oh, it's horrible. Please help me. Um, anyway, I started taking Relief Factor, and I have to tell you, it changed my life. And so many people right into the show. I, I get at least, oh, four, five, six letters every week from people. If you want a drug-free and natural way to get your life back, go to relieffactor.com. That's relieffactor.com or call 1-800-THE-NUMBER-4-RELIEF. Is the podcast. Listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. Hello, Stu. How are you? Glenn, how are you? Oh, do you even need to ask? You look happy as usual. Yes, thank you. Well adjusted. Th- thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. An it's optimistic gr- future. Oh, my. Lays ahead. I have, I mean, I've had quite a week. I've had about six hours sleep this week. Oh, that's good. So I'm combined. Combined. Okay. So I'm really, really good. <laughs> and then I get to go home and uh, and 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 go and drive for about fourteen hours to my son's football game. It's an away game, someplace in Texas. Oh, uh, this is the only time I miss the East Coast, right. where like you know the whole you could drive the whole state and back in like. 25 minutes right you know what I mean? yes here oh no. my gosh yeah so i'm i'm excited about that i'm excited about that um but i got this show in front of me and this show is just full of good stuff i've actually got good news for you i mean not 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 three hours worth but i got some good news for you so at some point during the next three hours i'm gonna get i'm gonna start with it somebody asked me last night they said uh glenn what do you really think about the election and I'm like, could people stop asking me what do I really think? 
I tell you every yeah. day. It's not like I have, you know, I got to yeah. tell you, I'm so optimistic right now. I mean, I don't have a secondary opinion on stuff. As someone who spent multiple decades as your executive producer, <laughs> the problem is he says what he really believes too much. That's that's the real issue we've had with the show over the years. It's, it's not okay. hiding anything. Right. So they say, what do you really think? And I said, you know what? Let me let me let me say it this way. If this were any other time in American history, I would think that this is going to be a red tidal wave, just a tidal wave that will collapse the Democratic Party possibly forever. Okay? Wow. Yeah. You'd think with the performance of the last couple of years, that would be what we'd be looking at here. And the fact that they're still fighting for, you know, hey, pedophilia is not so bad. Uh you would think that this would put them out of business forever. That they just added that to the Democratic platform, by the way. Pedophilia is not so bad. Yeah, yeah that's, that's yeah. Just, well, just a quick line. Did you see what they're doing in Virginia? Oh, we're going to talk about this later. You mm. see what Virginia is doing? The Virginia Democrats are trying to pass a law. It's not going to pass, but it might in, what, four years when, mm. the, when the governor is gone or six years when he can't run again. Um, the uh, Democratic legislature is putting in that... Parents must um, affirm their child's chosen gender or they can have their kids taken away from them. They're actually trying to pass that law now. Have they learned nothing? Nothing. Here you are in a state that's really a blue leaning state and you have a Republican governor just because of things like that. Yeah, I know. So they're trying to pass that. And, um, you know, usually you would think, well, that's suicide. But no. No, they're just going for it. And what what is crazy to me is so many things have been made political that are just it's clouding everybody's vision, everybody's vision. You know, you 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 want to talk about pedophilia. Let's talk about pedophilia. But can we do it without saying, yeah, but Trump, can we not make this about politics and instead about the molestation of our children? You know what I mean? So I would be very optimistic any other time but i can no longer predict america because half of america is a psycho they've just lost touch with reality um however uh, the, the other point b on this one on the downside is uh i would think it would be an absolute red wave if i had belief in the system you know what i mean mm-hmm. i i am I'm shell-shocked enough to say I'm not sure this is going to be free and fair. Um, and, you'll, like, for instance, you, will, you could convince me that uh, Donald Trump won in a landslide, but I need evidence, and I don't have the evidence. I have things we should follow and things we should check out. I mean, nobody's following, you know, Dinesh D'Souza's uh, uh, breadcrumbs. We need an official group to sit down and really, truly follow. But that's not going to happen. So you could convince me that he won in a landslide. You can convince me that he lost. But you will never convince me that they didn't at least try to do everything they can to throw this election. Okay, there's there's no way that you can convince me that the Democrats didn't use every tool in their toolbox 
to rig this last election. Would you agree with that? I mean, if you had if you picture a scenario in which, um, I don't know, Kamala Harris is sitting in a room by herself and there's a button that says that she could switch the election to them winning instead of the Republicans. Clearly, they'd press it. Right. The question is just how difficult it is to pull something like that off. But I don't have any any hesitation at all in that if they had the opportunity and felt they they could pull it off and they did. I mean, you know, they it, did. I'm not saying they did pull it off, mm-hmm. but they had the opportunity and they t- tried every by changing laws, by drop certainly, boxes, all certainly of by changing stuff. laws before the election Correct. took place. They Correct. definitely tried to tilt the playing field in Correct. their in their in their advantage. So I don't have any faith that they're not going to try that again. And their arrogance, like, let's take children away from their parents. Let's sign this new law a couple of weeks before the election. The arrogance, that is either suicidal arrogance um, uh, or it is, it's like, don't worry about it. Everything's taken care of. You mm. know what I mean? And I don't want to think that way because yeah, I do I, think I, that this, this election, you got to go out and vote. I know I am. Uh, and uh, everybody's got to go out and vote. I believe we can just overwhelm the ballot box this time. And we talked about this a little bit on Studios America on, on Wednesday's show that the messaging of the election is going to be stolen is really dangerous for Republicans because, yeah. honestly, like if you believe that, then why go? Why go? Yeah. Right. I mean, then that that's what happened, I think, in Georgia right. in the runoffs. Right. I, you know, there was so much messaging around, oh, this was stolen. Don't w- they're never going to ch- count your vote anyway. That's how Warnock got in. Uh, Warnock and, uh, and uh, Ossoff both mm-hmm. got in that way. Yeah. And it's also the reason we just spent five trillion dollars yeah because they got control of the senate by the slimmest of majorities right so um and i and i don't think that they have it locked down where they can guarantee i think they'll try they're trying but i there's always shenanigans yeah i believe this is we are going to win the thing that has bothered me and here comes the good news the thing that has bothered me was the arrogance until yesterday Joe Biden giving a speech. He says, I'm telling you, no joke, folks. Um, Inflation's going to get much worse if Republicans win. And I thought, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Hmm. He's admitting that inflation exists. And he knows, everybody knows, it's going to get much worse. But he's signaling now, if they win... That's how we're going to defend. We're just going to push it all on the Republican Congress. You watch. They, he's just signaled, there's a possibility we're not going to take this thing. And so he's starting to play the cards now. You watch. By January, by January, they'll be sworn in for like 20 minutes. And Joe Biden and the media will be saying inflation is out of control and this do nothing Congress is only making things worse. Okay, he just played that card yesterday. I've never seen him play that card before. Have you? No. He's not even in, he doesn't even he doesn't even really admit that there is inflation or right. that it's going to be a problem. It was transitory up until yeah. 10 minutes ago. Yes. So that gives me great optimism so this is you're saying this is a preview of their argument when they yes. lose because he believes they will lose yes 
or or they're talking about it. I don't know if he believes anything or does anything other than <laughs> right. Uh, I talking. I don't know who said this. Oops, I guess I shouldn't have said that out loud. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Uh, so, but it's being discussed, and he played it yesterday. I like your optimism. I. I We've heard this from a bunch of conservative commentators recently that there's going to be this red wave, and I th- I think there's a chance of it. I I'm think not it as confident be, as everybody else seems to be, though. No, I know, and and it it could be a in a normal period of time, this would be Reagan Mondale. This would be 49 out of 50 states, just red. Yeah, I mean, look, obviously we don't have a presidential election. There's right. not even state elections in 50 states uh, for, no, for, I, for the Senate. I, I know that, but, but you, what I'm saying, saying that is the equivalent of that. The equivalent yeah. of that in the midterms. It would just be, it would be a stunning victory in normal times. Yeah, one, one thing that's interesting about looking at this as a wave, right? We look back at the 2010 election as a wave election, the biggest wave in the past century. That was the Tea Party uh, wave. And so many seats were won by Republicans. There was I can't remember the number, but it was close to like 100 seats. I mean, it was, mm-hmm. it was an incredibly mm-hmm. high number. Because of the starting point this time, though, in the House, the House is just yeah. a razor-thin majority for... The, right. for so if you can get to 200, 240 seats is arguably the high watermark that Republicans could shoot for rationally. In, in a wave election, they could get into that vicinity. If that it's, happens, that is a wave election. That, oh, yeah. People because won't talk it, about it as much that that's, way. But that's, what, but that's how we have to frame this. Mm-hmm. The, the, um, the seats that are available are not in Republicans' favor. Okay? In 2024, it's the exact opposite. And it's that, all in Republicans' favor. Okay, so and that makes a difference. And that's in the Senate. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, in the House, everybody's up for every two years. Everybody's up every two years. And you you talk about a huge uh, wave coming. You could wind up with uh, with tons and tons of seats, a a large majority. Or you could see a a narrow victory for Republicans that. At least will still block the worst instincts of, mm-hmm. the, of the Democrats, but will not be enough to to really move the needle in a way of saying, like, there's a mandate for what Republicans are trying to do, whatever that is. Uh, you know, it's just I think at this point, you know, we talked about this on the on your election special the other night. There is a, an instinct from Republicans right now to say, look, we just need to not be them. If we're just not them, we'll win. Yeah. And I do think that there's something to that. Yes. Right? Like, you probably, if you are just, we are not going to do the same things Joe Biden is doing, you probably will win. But that's not going to give you a mandate going forward for decades of leadership. No. That might win you a midterm. Yes. Yes. And that's short-term thinking. Correct. However, uh, let me me tell you what I think, because he said yesterday, you know, it's going to get much worse if Republicans win. All right, so let me tell you what I think is going to happen. Uh, The Republicans will win the House and the Senate. From my mouth to God's ear, please, Lord, please. Um, And inflation is going to get much, much worse. How could you possibly say that? Well, I mean, um, something's weird about this stuff with Jamie Dimon. Let me just say that. We'll get to that maybe some other day. Um, But he is coming out and he is saying, uh, I told you that it was a hurricane, Category 5, back in the summer. 
I'm telling you, I was underestimating what is coming, came out yesterday and said there is a 30% drop in the market from here that is about to hit. 30% mm. market drop. That is massive, massive. Um, and, you know, dogs and cats are going to be living together. It's <laughs> going to be ugly. So the Republicans will be blamed for everything by the media and the um, uh, and the um, uh, the Democrats. And they'll say it's a do nothing Congress. And because we have a do nothing Congress, we're going to have to take some emergency actions. And this president is going to start uh, dictating. And he's also I mean, he already is, but worse. And he's also going to. Um, put into action his little foot soldiers of BLM and Antifa and everything else. They're not related. They don't know. Uh uh Um, You're going to start to see real trouble again on the streets. And it's going to all be tied to like an Occupy Wall Street kind of thing. They're getting bailouts. These people are getting out. And we're not getting. We need these Republicans to step aside so we can just start giving money to the people. And it's going to get ugly. It's going to get ugly, and we're going to need to help each other and come together. They're not telling you this now, but I'm, I am telling you. I don't know why we keep saying we're going to be in a recession. We're in a recession, and things are going to get bad. They are bad. You know, how bad can a recession get? I think we're headed for a depression and then a complete collapse of the U.S. dollar within the next five years. So just mentally prepare for that and then think, what do I have to do to make sure my friends, my neighborhood, my family, my community is set to weather that storm? Because when you get a, you know, marauding people that are just hungry in the cities and angry and they're spurred on by crazy politicians, what do you do to keep your community safe? That's the way you have to start thinking because it's going to get you know, did you notice that it was the streets were on fire? Biden wins. <laughs> no, no one knows how to get to the streets. No, anymore. Yeah, it's like I don't Molotov cocktail. That sounds lovely, darling. Can you make a Molotov cocktail for me, please? Remarkable. Remarkable. The second they got and their power. The second they lose the power, it's coming back. Mm. It's coming back. Remember, I told you how they took over in the in Hungary, the Soviets. They have they have control at the top. They get their foot soldiers on the bottom to rise up and cause so much chaos. This is what happened in Germany as well. So much chaos. The top has no choice but to come down and build a cage for everybody because the average people are calling out for help, help. Somebody's got to help us. Strengthen your state and your local community so that is not the cry from you. Stand guard, America. Stand guard. But we make it. It's going to be good. Oh, my gosh. I'm so positive today. This is very concerning. Oh, yeah. You should panic because I'm positive. If you have a panic room, you should be in it already. Lock yourself in. I'm going in there now. We're take a break, but I'm not coming back. I'm not coming out of that room. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program, and we really want to thank you for listening.
Welcome to the Glenn Beck program. It is Friday. We have Michael Malice joining us. Uh, he is the host of You're Welcome, the podcast. Uh, and he is a big lover of freedom of speech. And no matter how you feel uh, about Alex Jones, um, a billion dollars, a billion dollars in damages uh, is should be chilling to every American and especially broadcasters. Uh, welcome to the program, Michael. How are you? Uh, thanks so much, Glenn. I, I think it's even more, right? Isn't a billion just the um, damages and there's going to be a, a punitive phase on top of this? Yeah. And and there's a whole nother case in Connecticut yeah. ready to go. So, I mean, it's going to, you're right, it's going to be probably multiple billions of dollars before this is Well, over. no, I think this was the Connecticut. There's the Texas one, which was like 45 or whatever. And then this was the Connecticut one. So. Yes. Well, there's one, there's more, one to more to go. One more to go. On top of this. Oh, oh boy. Yeah. Oh, boy. I, I mean, it, what what's kind of insane, I, I, you know, I tweeted it out this week oj simpson when he was sued for the wrongful deaths of nicole brown simpson and uh, ron goldman he only had to pay out a 33 million dollar uh settlement so wow. to put this in perspective the, the the numbers for actually killing two people is a tiny percentage of this uh is as gross as it is to discuss this juries every day have to adjudicate wrongful death or you know if someone dies in a car wreck or something how much that estate is owed and the numbers are nowhere near as close to this so there's just no concept here of proportionality um in terms of you know the and, and in addition you know you see people like well you know look what he did to these parents it's like the what was done to the parents pales in comparison to what the shooter did you know that was where the real Correct. damages were and he's being charged with much more than what uh, um they had to suffer through at the hands of that madman so and i there think was no is- there was no closure i think for the parents because the gunman uh shot himself and so you know alex jones i think this was a despicable thing to uh to perpetrate however um, you know, there are a lot of bad people or bad opinions or whatever um, that are out there. It, you can't take your grief out on on somebody um, and their freedom of speech. And I think part of this was you feel so bad for the parents, horrible for the parents, for the shooting and then for what they had to endure. But you 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 can't do that. I mean. What is the point of a billion dollars? He's not going to be able to pay it. So what is the point here? Well, when when, we're, when people talk about issues like this, I always try to bring something innovative to the conversation as much as I can. And I think we all forgot because we all have the, you know, when you have a president who has Alzheimer's, it kind of becomes leadership and we all have issues <laughs> with our memory. But we're all forgetting that Peter Thiel took out Gawker. Uh, I, I just thought of that as I was waking up this morning, which is, you know, Gawker outed him. Uh, Gawker was a series of websites head uh, in New York, uh, very malevolent in, in many um, capacities. And Peter was like, you know what, these these people cannot stand. And he funded a lawsuit by Hulk Hogan. Why Hulk Hogan would need funding is not really clear to me. Hulk Hogan being a very successful athlete actor for decades. Uh, and they actually managed to take down the Gawker empire and drove Nick Denton, the owner, into bankruptcy. But at the same time, you know, w- what people are concerned about, very understandably, is they're trying to make Alex Jones an example. 
and what effect is this going to have on other broadcasters? Right. When Gawker was destroyed, it did not at all rain in the vitriol in uh, internet media, uh, from my perspective, uh, at least. Yeah, you know, I, I, Michael, I had the same thought. I, I would not be surprised at all if we find out after this that somebody is funding these suits they're so like they're so targeted to this one guy and again like my uh, you know whatever you think about alex jones if if you want a central theory he's really responsible for you'd say the 9-11 theory yeah right he he was not i don't think the leader on the sandy hook thing at all even i went through their entire complaint they have about 12 instances of him even talking about it uh, you know like and the idea that you you go after a, a host for saying something that he admits was is wrong now a wrong opinion because people who may or may not have heard that theory from him they could have heard it from anywhere else on the internet went and harassed these parents the people who should be held responsible for that harassment are the people who did it the people yeah. who actually went up to these poor parents and harassed them in real life those are the people that should be charged with this stuff and and if by way of parallel, Sarah Palin recently sued the New York Times because she was uh, accused by, by them of being behind the Gabby Gifford shooting and things like this, and her case was dismissed out of court. So there is, it's certainly a, the legal system, which I'm obviously not a fan of being an anarchist, often leads to kind of these outcomes which just seem to be completely uh, incoherent in relation to other cases uh, and situations like this. Um, I, I mean, I think you know, if the worst comes to pass and Infowars is taken down and Alex has to file bankruptcy, he's not going to go away. They, they, they're not literally removing right. his tongue or the existence of microphones on Earth. This is not going to functionally silence him. So uh, I, I do think this is, you know, meant to make an example. But I think it's, it, it's going to have a counter effect because it's going to make people that much more of the view that there are forces out there designed to silence any questioning of official narratives. And uh, Michael, when you, when you look at, at this, I mean, OJ Simpson, he just declared bankruptcy and he was off playing golf and they tried to say, you know, look at the money you have. And he's like, no, 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 I'm just, this is money I'm just making today. And, you know, he got around all of it and, you know, had a pretty sweet life. I mean, what 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 is the point again? What is the point of all of this? Because it's not going to be paid. Is it really, truly in your eyes uh, something that is just trying to scare people like me or others, uh, you from speaking out and questioning the truth? Because that's not going to work. I'm not going to stop. I think, but in their perspective, they don't know what else to do because Alex Jones was decreed a non-person, like several other people you and I can name that we've probably been friends with at one point, and he was officially supposed to have vanished. And the fact that he was driven off of all forms of social media and that he still has an audience and that he still can be, you know, I had him on my podcast a couple of times, you know, I could reach an audience with him as a guest. It wasn't forbidden like some other people. This really drove some very bad people crazy because it was the rule that you do not talk to this person. He is persona non grata. And the fact that he's actually beloved and regarded by some people, even those don't, who don't like him, as perhaps a buffoon as opposed to a dangerous threat, that is a problem because it was like 2016. You cannot vote for Trump. We have told you. All these organizations have said this person is off limits. And when the reverse happened, they really didn't know what to do except double down. 
So what does it mean for the future? I think it means that people, you, you, you know, there was this tweet not that long ago that said they should change cons- the term conspiracy theory to spoiler alert. Um, the <laughs> fact that, <laughs> the fa- I can't take credit for that great line. That's a great line. The fact that we're seeing all this stuff coming out about Pfizer this week and, you know, the things about social distancing never had a point and there's no even a pretense that it had a point. I, I, I think Alex Jones is like Trump and they don't realize this, a symbol of something much bigger. And they think if they kill the head vampire, all the other vampires vanish. And that's really not how it's going to work. And this is really going to create a problem for those whose job it is to manufacture popular opinion. Especially when you go and look at Donald Trump. What they've missed the whole time is Trump is not the disease. Trump is a symptom. And he's a symptom of people feeling like no one in Washington represents them, listens to them, includes them in anything. And that number of Americans is only growing and they think if we can put him in jail or take him down or discredit, that's going to that's going to make that uh, that group go away. It's not going away. It will only get bigger because you make people into a martyr. Yeah, I, I said that exactly myself, that Trump is more useful as a martyr than as a president. I'm very much looking forward to him uh, speaking uh, in front of the January 6th committee because talk about, a, you know, a carnival. It is going to be the sideshow to end all sideshows to watch him staring down Liz Cheney. They're not going to be able to keep him quiet. He can't keep himself quiet. It's going to be absolutely hilarious. So do you think he hurts himself by doing I, it? I, 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 no, I, I think because Trump has been in many ways effectively silenced, uh, you know, he's not on Twitter. That was his main venue of getting his words out there. I know he's now on Truth Central, but whatever. To have him and have network coverage, something that they're trying to avoid, they're trying to vanish the guy, even though he's the former president, that is going to be, I, I think that the memes are going to be epic alone. Oh, I, and I think it would be must-watch TV. I think oh, that sure. is the only thing that I've seen politically in the last maybe four years, three years, that will actually draw a large audience to television. People will watch that. I think they really think that watching Liz Cheney Karen out and wag her finger at him and scold him and he's going to sit there like a petulant child and everyone's going to get up and clap. These people, since there's so much of their views are informed by Hollywood, think real life works like a Hollywood movie and you get mm. to tell off the bad guy and he you know, throws his hat in the floor and you know just shakes his fists. That's, that's not reality. You're not going to talk over Donald Trump. Uh, it is... An interesting time to live. Last question. More optimistic, less optimistic that uh, from from last week that the election is going to be uh, headed uh, in the red direction. You think it's a, a uh, wave, oh, a tidal wave, a wave or just a little wash I up think on the all, shore? All the polls are showing. Uh, undecideds are breaking towards Republicans, which is the historical norm. Uh, and I think election night, when we're all going to be covering uh, the events, it's going to be absolutely hilarious to watch. My one hope is John Fetterman uh, becomes the senator from Pennsylvania. <laughs> I, because I'm a JFK truther. I don't think there was any shooter. I think his head just did that. And John, <laughs> and, and, and John, and John Fetterman is going to be the first senator whose brain explodes live oh. on the floor of the Senate. Covering everyone in his brain parts and boobs. Uh, oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! I can't wait. And he's I'm glad that you're on the panel. I'm glad that yes, you're on sir. the panel. 
panel that night. Believe me, this is going to be uh, election night coverage that you're not going to see any place else. We've got a guy <laughs> who believes Kennedy's head just spontaneously <laughs> exploded. That's good. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, Michael. Thank you very much. God Take bless. Care, you bet. Uh, you don't want to miss the Blaze coverage this week. Uh, uh, that uh, that week. This is election week, and I'm just going to announce it because I want you to make sure that you've made plans for this. I believe it is on the Saturday before I'll let or Saturday after, and I'll let you know for sure when we get closer to it. But election night coverage is going to be unlike anything we've done. You're going to love it. Um, <laughs> trust me. Uh, and then the coverage. On Saturday, the following Saturday, uh, it is going to be how do you defend yourself when the ATF comes to your door? How do you defend yourself with the IRS? Who can help you if you're in a school board meeting? How do you stand for your rights? We have people who have already done it and done it incorrectly. And now have learned the lesson. We have uh, experts on the Constitution. We have the whole thing ready for you. So it, I think this is something for every single American. I must watch. It'll be the Saturday after the election. We'll give you more details on that. Sign up for Blaze TV. This is a must watch. Must watch. And uh, you'll also get that week, uh, the election coverage, which is lots of fun. The best of the Glenn Beck program. We welcome to the program now Nicole Levitt. She is an attorney uh, who found herself in a pretty difficult situation. She's written a piece in Newsweek magazine. I was asked to agree to white people are racist and uh, sign a contract about that at work. Um, Nicole, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me. You bet. Um, I, uh, I I imagine that you and I don't vote the same way, um, and that's totally cool with me. Um, but uh, your story, I think, is so important because even people that really radically disagree on politics should not be disagreeing on principles and the Bill of Rights as one of them. Um, you were working as an attorney in a private practice. Um, you also have a degree in psychology. Uh, you worked as a therapist. You were doing pro bono work. And what were you working on in your job? Okay, so I, I work for a domestic violence agency. Okay. Um, so I'm, I wasn't doing pro exactly pro bono work. I'm getting paid, but okay. our clients okay. are not paying us. All right. Um, okay. And so, and so I, okay, go sorry. ahead. No, 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 please go ahead. Uh, yeah. I represent victims of domestic violence and I represent them, um, mainly in custody court because they still have custody battles with their abusers and, mm. um, the children, yeah, the children need to be protected and, and so do the, the women okay. or D- domestic violence is, uh, is horrific and those people who have um, lived through it uh, know it uh, and those who deal with it every day uh, I think are are heroes especially when they are protecting people so that your job was to go in represent them help them these are people generally in poverty I would imagine in Philadelphia yeah Uh, yeah 
Go ahead. We have um, like an income ceiling. We can't represent them if they make over a certain amount of money. So almost all of our clients are um, low income or um, or working class. Okay, are you a governmental agency? No, we're a private agency. Okay. However, we do get government funding. Okay, so when George Floyd was murdered, um, everybody. This is the one time I think America United was on that day. I think everybody who saw that was outraged by that, except maybe a handful of uh, crazies. Um, but they were outraged by it, and then it became political and, and a mess. So that happened. I imagine your workplace was like my workplace that day. But your place evolved into holding a diversity, equity and inclusion sessions, right? Yes. Um, and at first, everyone did unite around um, what happened to George Floyd. Right. It was horrible. And I don't think any thinking, feeling person could see that and not Agree. be moved against it. Agree. Um, the problem came when when that empathy was hijacked for what I say was an ideological cause. And it got to the point where if you didn't agree with that ideology, if you dissented one step away from it, then, you know, you were outcast. And you 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 actually had affinity groups. And so you had a white group and a black group. Yes, um, they divided us up um, according to skin color, which was something that I found so regressive and so offensive that, yeah, I eventually said I'm I can't participate in those groups anymore. Um, and you have a but, you have a special uh, kind of uh, something extra that makes you really uh, worried about societies that do that. You're also Jewish. Yes. Right. And that played a role? And the, it did, because um, the language that I heard used against white people mirrored what I what was said against Jews uh, in the 1930s. And I wholeheartedly reject that kind of dehumanizing language against any race or any group. Um, and if if anyone with a sense of history will tell you that things don't go well when that happens. <laughs> that's a, that's a very nice way of saying it. Yes. <laughs> things become suboptimal. Yes. 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 Um, so you had, they introduced something. So you objected to going to the whites only group. And then yes. uh, uh, what happened after that? So as an agency, we were bombarded with um, messages of anti-racism. We were asked to attend a lot of different trainings and read a lot of different materials um, on like the Kendian sense of anti-racism. Oh and that included like white people decolonize your bookshelves. You read this, this and this. Um, and, and it was a lot. We we were really bombarded with a lot of those messages. Did you guys get any work done? <laughs> we did. However, I was concerned about how much time we were spending on this and also um, big conversations like defund the police. My my thinking was we need the police right now. They're not a perfect solution to any domestic violence issue, but we need them. 
So yeah. the answer would be in, in better training about domestic violence situations, not about we have to defund the police because they are um, killing black and brown people every day. Like that is the hysteria that I'd say took over the agency and it seemed to take over, you know, a lot of the country as well at that time. So tell me about the full value contract that was introduced to you. Um, So it was a contract that was supposed to govern our meetings at the legal center and it was all fine. Most of it was like, you know, listen respectfully to other people, Mm -hmm. accept other viewpoints, things like that. (laughs) But number five was own that all white people are racist and I am not the exception. Um, And I immediately objected to that and was told, oh, you know, maybe you can just like agree with it as it's read. I say, if that is read while I'm at a meeting, I'm not going (laughs) to pretend to agree with it. It's it's just not possible. How many people do you Um, think sign that and just like, I don't agree with it, but whatever, just sign it. I know a few people did because they told me, (sighs) Um, but uh, I think most of them were true believers. And I think honestly, they thought they were doing the right thing. It astounds me that people can think that was the right thing, but here we are. Uh, okay, so you said I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sign that, um, and then the the company asks you to attend a meeting with the DEI consultant, and this is they're going to support you, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Did they? No. No. Um, what a it- surprise. <laughs> <laughs> They basically were kind of testing my beliefs and um, what does that challenging mean? them. What does that mean? Like, do you believe the country is systemically racist? Do you believe our criminal justice system is racist? And I kept asking, what is the purpose of this meeting? And the answer I got back was to see if you are safe to be around your black and brown colleagues and clients. Oh, my gosh. Because, yes. Yes. And I kept saying, so are you telling me I need to think this way um, about matters of race in order to represent my clients effectively? And they would kind of back off a little bit from that, but then come right back to it. So had you ever had any racial warnings or any trouble at all with anybody in in the history of your work on about race? No, okay. I have not. <laughs> All right. So, um, okay, yeah. you're 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 being questioned now. Yeah, go ahead. Yes, I I don't know if that's going to continue. One of the proposals I saw was um, that that other colleagues wanted to treat microaggressions the same as harassment. Oh you God. know, and make that a policy. So, how do you work there? Honestly, how do you work there? <laughs> I mean, I, I, well, just, I mean, I just I, I don't understand. We have gone from a uh, country where, you know, when you're in business, you work, you work towards a goal, you try to do good. You know, you try to be decent. If somebody's out of line, hopefully they get fired, you know, in extreme cases, take them to court if they're not fired to now. Somebody comes to me with a microaggression. I think I tr- I, th- I throw the toaster at them. I mean, I I, I, I just <laughs> Enough is enough. Can we please 
just concentrate on things that are really important. And let's, you know, I, I met with the people at uh, Glad. I told this story earlier this week. Met with people at Glad a few years ago. They would not uh, join me in this. And I said, look, my audience will hate me for joining with you. But we have one thing in common. We think throwing homosexuals off of the rooftops in Iran is really bad. And we can do lots of examples all around where we're in Russia. Uh, homosexuals are killed, tortured, and killed in some cities. Let, let's just start there. Can we start there? No. So what are we doing if we won't actually face and do things today that actually make a difference? We can talk about slavery 150 years ago, or we can all get together and realize that I think it's 70 or 60 countries in the world still have no anti-slavery laws. And there's slave, there are more slaves today than in the entire slave trade combined. Let's stop what's happening now. It's a very distorted worldview. Mine? With you on that. No, no, no. The, okay. <laughs> the anti-racism uh, worldview. Yeah. This ideology that that is being shoved down our throats, basically. Because it's not because I don't think it's actually about you. You know, you wrote in your Newsweek article, this is really about dividing us. Th- this is this is about control, power, politics, money. I don't know, but it's not actually about bringing people together and seeing beyond race. Yes, and there are some um, wonderful, wonderful programs um, about racism. If, if a company wants to bring in some training about that, Sheena Mason's theory of racelessness. Don't know um, anything about Eric it. Smith, oh, it, it's, it's very good. Eric Smith and um, Jason Littlefield also have one. And it's about bringing people together, seeing the humanity in everyone. Well, it, I mean, if it teaches them. anything like Martin Luther King, I'm 100% in. Um, you know, yes. he, he was right. He's, he was right. I know that's controversial to say now, but he had the right idea. Nicole Levitt from uh, Philadelphia. She's uh, an attorney. She was working, um, uh, helping, you know, underprivileged families, family law and, and abuse. Uh, and she was asked to sign a white people's uh, white people are racist contract. She said no. She has filed uh, against her uh, employer. What did you file, and how's that going? So I filed a complaint with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, um, and all I want is for the civil the existing civil rights laws to be followed, and for the organization to say that they're going to follow them and basically knock this other stuff off, not do it again. Um, I don't want you know any monetary damages except right. for paying for my legal bills. And um, right now it's kind of stalled. The next step would be to request a right to sue letter and sue in, in state court. I hope it doesn't get to that. I don't want to take money or time away from this organization, but I think that this um, is an issue that is so important. Why? That Why? Because this kind of division is not going to serve us as an organization and it's not going to serve us as a country. And someone had to be willing to stand up and say no. 
And right now that's me. And it's, it's not like the position I wanted to find myself in, believe me, but it's the position I'm in and I'm committed to it. That's usually how you know you're on the right side or you're standing with God. It's like, oh, no, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to do that. And that's when you know usually you're right is when you're like, okay, and nobody, you know, Martin Luther King was not the first guy uh, that people approached to stand up. I think he was the eighth or the tenth pastor that was approached. He was just the first guy that went, okay, and did it. Um, and if you're hearing that I got to stand up, I got to say something, don't be the other, not uh, the other eight pastors that, you know, were asked before Martin Luther King, be Martin Luther King. It's, uh, all you have to do is stand for things, you know, are true. Do you regret it, Nicole? I do not regret it. I would do it again. And um, have you paid a heavy price yet? Um, it's, let's say it's been, um, a very anxiety filled time. Yeah. And I don't know what's going to happen. Um, I have, we have been professional in my organization. We are still like able to work professionally together. And for that, I'm very grateful. Um, I would like this to end happily, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know the future. Nicole, um, it, please uh, keep us up to date. Uh, I'm, I'm in your corner. I don't know you. I know that we don't have the same political background, but anyone who is standing for the Bill of Rights and just common decency, we are in your corner. Let us know how to help. God bless you. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you. You bet. Na, 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 na.